The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot on a stone. And Jesus said, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning, and so we pray by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. We are all being tested. When I said that at the 7.15 a.m. service this morning, a man in the front row said, yes. So some of us are clearly being tested more than others right now. But we are all being tested. And on this first Sunday of Lent, as we enter into this season of self-examination, as we walk with Jesus the road to Calvary and examine our lives and our desperate need for him, in this season of Lent, as we recognize the ways that we are being tested, there is good news in our testing. The fact that you are being tested and I am being tested is good news. You see, we find here in Matthew chapter 4, if you turn there in your Bibles or in the Pew Bibles or your iPhones, Matthew 4, we see Jesus as he's being led into the wilderness to be tested, this amazing truth that Jesus himself suffered testing. I mean, that's a year's worth of sermons right there. Jesus, the Son of God, suffered testing. But even better news, he suffered testing as a son. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't a mistake. He didn't sort of stumble into it. Oh, I'm being tested. I wonder where this came from. It was no surprise. It was intentional. It was planned. It was on purpose. Jesus suffered testing as a son. 
But the amazing news for us is not just that Jesus suffered testing as a son, but he did it for our sake. He did it for us. Let me show you what I mean. First, we need to recognize that Jesus suffered testing. Verse one of Matthew four, it says that the spirit led him up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, it says, tempted. The word in the Greek, though, actually is better translated as tested because when we look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, what is called the Septuagint, and you look back to the story, which sounds similar to Jesus' story of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, you see the parallels here. Jesus is the new Israel. When Israel's in the desert, in the wilderness, the word for temptation is that same word here used for test. It's a time of testing. And what we see in that language of testing is just as metals are tested with fire to discover their purity, so seasons of testing are about finding out what's really inside us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. What does God say at the end of 40 years as Israel's about to come out of the wilderness, finally enter the promised land? Here is the explanation of what the 40 years has been about. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all these years, these 40 years, in order to test you to see what was in your heart. Times of testing are times of discovery about what's really going on in us. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus' testing in the wilderness is a real test. This is not a charade. This is not play acting. Jesus isn't sort of acting like he's hungry. I know I'm the son of God. I'm not really hungry, but we'll play this out. No, Jesus is actually suffering here. Verse two, we can fly by it too fast. It says that after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was hungry. He was hungry. The eternal son of God become flesh, experienced deep hunger. And I'll say this, that the end of the text where it says in verse 11, that the angels came to him and ministered to him, I think is evidence that he was almost dead after these 40 days. That God sent these angels in at the very end to literally revive life that was barely left. He suffered to the near point of death in that desert. He really, really suffered. And we need to recognize this, that the brilliance and the wonder of the incarnation is that God himself become flesh knows what it is to suffer. He knows what your testing is like. He knows what your period of suffering testing is like. You know, it's, it's fascinating. When we look at this wonder of the incarnation, the angel says to Joseph, you know, Matthew chapter one, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The God who isn't just living with us, but is living like us, as one of us, who knows our very life, knows what it is to be hungry. And I'll tell you, I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Sometimes when we're facing devastating loss, when we're suffering a perpetual thorn in our flesh, when we're facing down the kind of suffering that just doesn't seem to go away, 
Sometimes the only hope and comfort we have is that God knows and knows what it is to suffer. You know, this day, February the 18th, some of you who've been walking with us in the parish for some time will know that this date is what my wife refers to as her leg aversary. This is the day a year ago when Monica shattered her leg. She was serving on a youth retreat, right? The EMT who needed an EMT that day shattered her leg, three surgeries a year of physical therapy, months in a wheelchair, life just turned upside down, and the ongoing continued sense of loss and struggle through all of that. It's been quite a year. What did we learn in this year? Well, of all the things that we could say, I'll just say two things we learned in this year. First of all, we learned how much we need community. That's just a sidebar note. I mean, I think honestly, and I said this to you last year, that up till the time that Monica shattered her leg, if I'm honest, I thought, yeah, this community really needs me. But then I discovered how much I need this community, how much we really need each other. It is moments of suffering and loss, times of testing where we really see that need for each other. And so I want to just, again, on the year leg anniversary, say thank you. On behalf of our family, thank you. On behalf of our family, thank you for the way that you walked with us and continue to walk with us. But it's not just that we learned about community. We also learned about the reality in those desperately difficult moments when there are no trite words of consolation that will work. There are times of deep pain and suffering when the only thing we can cling to is that I'm suffering and God knows my suffering. Personally knows it. He gets it. And I can call out to him and say, Lord, you know what this is like. My God and your God knows what it is to suffer. As as those words of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tested like us in every way and yet without sin. You know that David Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and martyr under Nazi Germany, died in a concentration camp. They found in his pants pocket a note he had written that day, and it simply said, only the suffering of God helps. This is the truth that in the midst of our testing, we know that Jesus himself suffered testing. Agonizing testing. But he does it as a son. And this is where the gospel really begins to land. Because we discover in verse 1 that it says the spirit led him up into the wilderness to be tested. And you want to say, hold on a second. The spirit led him into this. This was no accident. This was no um, surprise. This was intentional. This was purposeful. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested. And remember what's just happened. The verse before this moment, the end, you can see it in your Bibles, chapter three, verse 17, Jesus is in the waters of baptism. 
He's coming out of the waters, and that same spirit descends on him like a dove. And what does the voice from heaven say? The father says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And if it wasn't Lent, I'd say, hallelujah. Oops. That was funnier at the earlier service. Um, <laughs> and the immediate thing the spirit does takes this beloved son into the wilderness to be tested. The first act of that spirit after his baptism. You're beloved. You're my son now. Spirit, take him in the wilderness. Let's test him. And here's what we need to recognize. The fact that the perfect son of God suffered testing must put to death our moralizing about suffering. The fact that the perfect son of God suffered means we have to put to death our moralizing about suffering. What do I mean by moralizing about suffering? I mean that when we see something really bad happening to somebody, like a bad diagnosis or bad disease or bad circumstance, that we say, quietly, I know, oh, I wonder what's going on over there. Like, what's going on in their life? You know, something happens to somebody and we think to ourselves, well, you know, maybe, or something happens to us, we think, what have I done? The truth is, Suffering tests come into our lives not because we're bad, but because we're beloved. Suffering tests come into our lives because God loves us. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 5. He's quoting Proverbs, okay? Proverbs 3, this is the writer of Hebrews extrapolating out of this saying from Proverbs. Listen carefully to what it says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, Proverbs 3, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And then that writer for Hebrews goes on to say, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's saying that if everything is going well for you all the time, there's no challenges, there's no tests, there's no trials, then you need to worry, am I really a son of God? Am I really a daughter of God? Because if you are, testing will come. It's because he loves you. You know, Jim Packer, one of the most brilliant theologians of the 20th century, wrote these words, and he's speaking about royalty. He's actually talking about like real royalty in the world. He says this, and then he turns it on us. He says, royal children have to undergo extra training and discipline with other, other children escape in order to fit them for their high destiny. It is the same for the children of the king of kings. The clue to understanding all his dealings with us is to remember that throughout our lives, he is training us for what awaits us, chiseling us into the image of Christ. Let me put it this way. If our focus if what gets our attention, if all we care about is everyday life right now, 
if that's all we care about, everyday life, right now, then you know what? Moments of testing will be terrible. But if our focus is on a life eternal, then our moments of testing can be received as training. That this momentary trial is preparing us for glory yet to be revealed. It changes our perspective. You know, when I was elected a bishop, one piece of advice Archbishop Foley gave me, and it's not what you'd expect. He didn't tell me to read my Bible more. He knows I read my Bible. He didn't ask me to pray more. He knows I pray. He didn't ask me to love my wife and daughters more because he knows I love my wife and daughter. What he said to me was, here's my one piece of advice, Paul. You've been elected a bishop. Get a personal trainer. And I said, great, the archbishop thinks I'm fat. But the truth is, <laughs> the truth is, he says this to all the bishops. Because he says with the increased responsibility, increased stress, increased complexity, increased travel, you need to take care of your body more because if this falls apart, you're of no use to anybody. So I followed the archiepiscopal directive and I went and I talked to a personal trainer last week and I sat down to interview him and I said, I'm here because my archbishop sent me to you. And he said, well, that's a first. And I said, <laughs> I said, I need to be personally training. And he said, that's great. And I said, but here's how I think we're going to do this. I said, um, um, I said, I think it's just sort of a, like a couple times a week. We just need a moderate kind of, you know, get my heart rate up a little bit. And then, you know, I don't need to bulk up. I just need like maybe just work on like lean muscle mass or something. And this guy looked at me. He was like half my age. He looked at me and said, well, if that's what you want, then I'm not going to train you. And I said, well, this is a first for me. And I said, okay, uh, tell me more. And he said, if I'm going to train you and you actually want to train, then he said, I'm going to push you every week. I'm going to push you harder and there'll be more resistance and greater amount of weight because that's what training's for. He said, he said, if you set your goal here, you'll never achieve it. If you set your goal high, let's just see what, and through the language, let's see what God does. And it's a picture of the Christian life. If we set our goal for our living right here and just say all I want is an everyday normal life with as little complexity and as you know the most comfort possible in this life then guess what every time testing comes it's going to be awful but when we set our goal to heaven when we set our goal to eternity reigning with Jesus over creation over the angels then suddenly our momentary testing as awful as it can be is truly training Training and endurance. As Romans 5 says, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. It sounds so countercultural. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Jesus suffers testing as a son, because he's a son, because he's beloved. And it's the same for us. But here's the wonderful good news is he does it for our sake. Because let's be clear, though we're being trained, though we're being grown in the spirit through this testing, we are also going to fail sometimes. And here's where we desperately need to hear the gospel. Verse 10 of our text, Jesus at the end of the temptation says, be gone, Satan. And look what happens. 
Satan goes. All the way through, Jesus has been combating Satan with Scripture. And at the end, Satan flees. It's a victory. And notice what happens. Jesus has had a showdown with Satan in the wilderness. And now he moves forward, having exercised Satan. Verse 17 of chapter 4, he comes on the scene and says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what starts happening immediately? The kingdom of heaven is breaking out. People are getting healed miraculously. People who are desperately awful sinners are having their lives turned around. Demons are popping out of people. The kingdom of God is breaking in in their very midst. Why? Because Satan has been pushed aside. It's a sign in part of the final victory, the final triumph over Satan that comes at the end of Lent on Good Friday when Jesus nailed to a cross, bears all the sin of humanity and in that moment overcomes the power of sin and death as he's raised from the dead. As our Eucharistic literature, it is literature, liturgy, says every Sunday that he trampled down hell and Satan under his feet. That it's a victory. In fact, even Jesus explains this in Matthew chapter 12 because as all this kingdom, miraculous healing and demon exercising is going on, Jesus' critics say, "Uh uh-uh, see, he's casting out demons by demon's power. He's casting out Satan by Satan. And Jesus says, are you ridiculous? No, he doesn't say that, but I think he should have said that. But he says, really? I'm casting out Satan by the power of Satan, he says, no, no, no. He said, if you see, if you're going to plunder a strong man's house, right? You're going to go in, enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. You must first bind the strong man. And that's in fact what Jesus does in the showdown in the wilderness. He's bound the strong man. The stronger man has come and bound Satan, and he's standing in victory over him, and that's why the kingdom of God is breaking in. And again, on Good Friday, we see that final death blow to Satan. Yes, he's still running around, prowling around, seeking to destroy us, as we're told in 1 Peter, but he is a wounded, an eternally mortally wounded enemy. The death blow has been delivered. Not by us, not because we overcame, but because he overcame. And so now he's trying to take down as many as possible, but do we live in fear of him or do we live in the strength of Jesus' triumph over him? Don't you see that our life of facing the tests before us isn't about us striving, striving to get it right, striving to pass the test, but instead standing in his already completed test. Jesus comes where we have failed. Jesus, the new Adam, comes where the old Adam had failed to pass the test. Jesus, as the new Israelite, comes where the old Israelite had failed. Jesus comes and passes the test where we have failed on our behalf. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 means when he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, as I look over the last year, 
you know, we look at our seasons of suffering and testing, and you know what I'm talking about. We can have great victory, we can grow, and we will grow, but there'll also be moments of failure, where we fail the test, we don't pass the test. And, and you know, for me at least, it often happens on those days when I begin to pridefully think that I'm really doing well with the test. I mean, I would find myself in the last year with, you know, a series of additional challenges going on, and I'd say to myself in the morning, I never ever said it out loud, well, kind of, but I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty well with this, you know, I'm I'm passing the test today. Like, I'm, I'm getting stronger. I, I'm managing this. I'm managing all these extra challenges. And I find that every time that ever happens to me in my life, by the end of the day, it's disastrous. Like, the Lord in mercy brings me to the end of myself. And usually that happens at the end of the day when the dogs have done something disgusting, which is generally what their nature is to do. And, and then I've just lost it. And so my children at times last year in moments would hear me cursing out the dogs in the other room. I mean, just losing my mind because I was at the end of my rope and I was not thriving and I was not passing the test. And I would feel this incredible guilt afterwards. And if my dogs could speak, they'd say, you can't believe what the bishop said to us. But the truth is, the truth is in those moments of failure, when we fail the test, we can try to justify ourselves. Well, you know, Lord, I've had a bad day. Or we can loathe ourselves and say, maybe my salvation didn't really take. Or we can believe the gospel. In those moments of our failure to pass the test, we can believe the gospel that when the Father looks upon my uneven performance, what he sees is Jesus' perfect performance. In the words of Colossians 1.21, he who can make us stand blameless and holy before the Father. This is what we cling to. This is why he suffered for our sake. Those words from Martin Luther's famous hymn, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. We are all being tested. We are all being tested. And in our testing, there is good news. Because as we continue in this Lenten season, Jesus suffered testing, really suffered. And he did it because he was a beloved son. But friends, he did it for our sake that we would not be striving towards our own victories, but that we would stand in his completed victory. This is how we live into this season of testing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.